Hey, what is up guys? Today I'm going to show you a simple, cost-effective way of blacking out the Milwaukee Bucks and the New Orleans Pelicans. Anthony Davis returning after one game with an injury. Pelicans 3-2, and two, so far without him this season. Giannis Antetokounmpo warming up. Early on, the Greek freak off to a good start. A blackout poetry. Try, try again. You miss it? You got to back. And how about a blackout Greetings from Detroit. All right. Greetings from the, the Windy chip, City. The Chip Factory. All right. I'm here in the Chip, the Chip Warehouse. It's not the Windy City, by the way. Motor City. The Motor City. Yeah, Greetings that. from the Motor City. The gusty Motor City. Yeah. Is it cold there? Very cold. It's not so cold here. Got yeah. a little warmer today. I'm jealous. No, it's been cold and snowy and uh, pretty much as advertised. Uh, not not pleasant. Winter is here, and you know what time it is. It's time for Fire and Ice, part two. <laughs> Blackout Game, episode two, season two. Episode two, season two. Back where we started, in a way. Pelicans in February. Except it's Pelicans in December now. True, I think Pelicans were one of our first episodes, maybe like our second episode. Was it our first episode? I think it was our second. Mm -hmm. Second episode, so we're, this is a nice, I, I think, unintentional parallel uh, in the two season structures where we're revisiting the Pelicans now in their full, first full season with uh, Anthony Davis and Marcus Cousins. And uh, we watched them play who? The Bucks? Uh, not, for this episode? Which yeah, time? this time. It was definitely the Bucks. It was the Bucks, right? Hundred percent. Yeah. Couldn't remember. Couldn't quite remember what that team was. It's been a few days, but I'm I'm like ninety five percent certain it was the Bucks. I know it's the other green team. They played the Bucks in a very exciting up and down game in which the Bucks led nearly all of it until the Pelicans somehow um, fell into a victory. Great game. I I go so far as to no longer call it a good bad game. I would say it's a good middle game. Yeah. Well, I would like. To, how did you? I watched it. Um, I watched. I did not watch the condensed version. I watched the full game twice. Hmm. Uh, New Orleans broadcast and Milwaukee. Though I probably only saw like fifty percent of it total because I was um, drawing at the time. Oh, okay. So I just sort of like soaked in both broadcasts. I watched the full broadcast. Uh, Pelicans. This was very late at night, twelve thirty uh, at night after a holiday party. And then I watched the condensed version three times. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really, I didn't really sit down. Watch. I sort of had it on in the background, and I just sort of looped it. Like in uh, a row. Yeah, so I just kept that's like, on. It's like mainlining a, a basketball game. Yeah, very. It was. Yeah, I feel like I. It, it was a lot of basketball. But that speaks to how little you saw the first time you watched it. Also, I wouldn't say that. I was just. I'd had a few drinks, and I wasn't. Uh, I. I just. I wanted to. You know, sort of refresh. If you, if you were to put a number on to how many drinks you had, what would they be? Uh, if I had to put a number, I, I would put the number five. Oh, nice. That's what I was thinking. Is, was that what you were going to guess? That's what I was going to guess that you were going to say. Okay. I have no, a feeling it was more like nine or ten. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest. It was, it was five. It was five. Hmm. And it was at a holiday party. Uh, so I was, you know, I was, I was drinking to ease the tensions of... Um, the dissonance that comes with your personal life and your professional life. 
intertwining and engaging in social behavior that you know you don't normally you don't normally engage in with with colleagues like dancing and uh, yeah drinking and stuff like that. So. Dancing? Did you dance with the with HR lady again? Live band and there was a DJ and uh, I danced a little bit to um, Baby's Got Back. <laughs> I did a little, I did a little shimmy. I don't think it's, oh, I, also, I don't think it's I, possessive. I don't think it's babies got back. <laughs> I also, it's, maybe it's plural. I think it's baby got yeah. back. But uh, I came back and I watched. The <laughs> this was a game that was broadcast on. <laughs> I'm gonna, my, yeah. Uh, this was a game that was broadcast on December 13th. Uh, it was a, a, a Pelicans home game. I believe it was like their maybe their fourth game in like six days or third game in four days or something like that. Uh, it was definitely they were definitely on like a they'd been on been on a long on a run. Binge. They were on a binge. They were on a they were on a basketball binge. Uh, it was as Jacob alluded to, dominated by the Bucks for the first three quarters, but the Pelicans ended up winning on a strong fourth quarter, uh, and they the final score was one fifteen to one hundred eight for for people watching at home and or listening at home who wanna you know check the score sheet and uh, follow along with us. This this was this was a game that I was I was very stoked to watch going into because both teams are are sort of have unique constructions for the modern NBA or at least they they both have very identifiable like personalities. The Bucks are like a, all this like super long lengthy dudes, and the Pelicans have uh, the Davis and Cousins Twin Towers whatever thing. Um, so I was I I came in just excited to watch the game, but I left it very much under the impression that the Pelicans were by far the more interesting team. And I don't know if that was just that particular game or the force of their personalities, but I think something that kind of backs that up is I listened to the, the Bucks broadcasters, and basically the entire game they're like, this is a shootout. Hold on to your horses, everyone. This is this is going to go. They don't really care. There was one moment where they said, I, the Pelican, they'll just, they don't really care about defense. They just want to run you off the floor. And there was one player that was like, wow, the Pelicans just do not care if they give up points. I think they should probably be more upset than they are that they're blowing all these defensive rotations. <laughs> like, they were kind of like in awe of how little the Pelicans seemed to care about what went wrong on, on the defensive end and how gung-ho they were just in like putting up points. Um, all of which I thought spoke to like the, the Pelicans, even though they were behind most of the game. I thought they were by far the most like dominant team. I agree with that. And there's something the Bucks. Uh, there's like a certain like um, yeah. There's something like there, there's something kind of boring about constructing a team that's that consistent and that. <laughs> it's almost like it was a species. Not to make like the Bucks analogy, but like I really felt like it was just like a herd of gazelles. And like obviously Giannis is amazing, but there was this sort of like sameness to to them absolutely i mean they're all basically you know ex extremely long young um you know wing type players and then and then obviously Giannis. But even Giannis sort of like there are times when he got because they're just so consistent in their like body types and their playing style even he kind of like sort of fades into the herd and you know becomes like you know uh, you know undifferentiated um and i felt like that toward the end of the game i sort of felt like he you know, the first the first three quarters, it was like Giannis could do pretty much whatever he wanted, and he was kind of like this, like you know, this exceptional star. And then like, and then yeah, it sort of felt like he just kind of like faded into the herd, and they became this undifferentiated mass of of, of horsepower. I'm conjuring an image of um, Henderson, Makur, and Giannis, yeah, um, <laughs> like racing <laughs> racing one another, um, and like they they all are running at full speed and it's exactly the same speed and they just look over at each other and smile. 
Oh, it's, yeah. it's totally those three. If yeah. there was only two of them, it wouldn't feel so much. But those three on the court together, you really feel like... And you get the sense there's no, like... There's no angst between them about the, their role or their position, exactly. They're just all... They're nice kids out there trying to play the game at the yeah, speed I mean, they that, can. There was that, like, sort of, like, controversy, like, a month ago where Giannis yelled, like, uh, you know, fuck you to the assistant coach. And it was, like, a pretty, like... It was like a, a a pretty like ordinary moment by NBA standards, but I think it was it was kind of blown out of proportion precisely because there's not a lot of like you know there's not controversy with the team. There's not a lot of there's you know there's not a lot of drama, uh, which you know is 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 like a is like a feature that becomes even heightened when contrasted against Fire and Ice and the and the Pelicans, which. Uh, however good they actually are in basketball terms, are far more dynamic and exciting and, and dramatic in all senses of the word. Um, from their like front office, you know, tensions and conflicts to on the court. If like the power of emo- like your emotional core was enough to make you win games, they would be like undefeated. You know, they they have think- like I don't know something something about like they're the most. I mean, maybe it's just that they complain the most to the refs of any team in the whole league, but. They definitely like have a, a kind of like a teenager like emotional state on the on the court. Yeah, I mean even like the animals themselves. I mean when you say that like the buck, I feel like bucks are the most. I'm just you know I feel like bucks are the most. Uh, yeah, like they really are. There's like there's no there's no real personality in a buck. A buck is not even like it's not even a maverick. It's like just a buck. Whereas a pelican is the world's most interesting bird. I think. Like, <laughs> By leaps and bounds. <laughs> you really I mean, win, win for it. I would say the ostrich maybe outrivals it, but pelicans are a weird fucking bird. Penguin, too. And dodo. Yeah, okay, there are a lot of weird birds, but pelicans are odd. Emu, hummingbird. Those are all non-American birds. Talking well, about American birds. I thought about, their, I thought about their animalness, and it relates a little bit to our, like, fascination with the pelicans over our, like, well, our inability to see the bucks at all. Um, and pelicans are protected on the one hand so they you know you can't you can't hunt a pelican um and they're protected I mean, and they're like respected they're protected by law <laughs> they're protected and respected did, did, did you make that up or is that like a, is that like the pelican's motto that <laughs> that's the pelican's self-generated motto <laughs> and and the whereas the bucks on the other hand are, are we talking about the animal right now? Or are we talking about the actual? <laughs> Sorry, I... we're talking about the animal. Okay, so the animal, the pelican, the animal, the, the pelican, pelican, the animal is protected and respected. The Marcus Cousins is, is not is not protected and yeah, I was okay, say, growingly totally... respected but not universally. But then on the other hand, you have the bucks who are hunted and mounted. <laughs> <laughs> not hunted and punted. You don't, <laughs> you don't punt a buck. You mount I, I it. No, it's like, like you could have gone for Hunted that. and munted. <laughs> Shunted. Are, just backing up for a second. Are pelicans a protected uh, class of animal? Are oh, they? Are they? Yeah. You can't mount. You can't hunt or mount a penguin. <laughs> I mean, you can. You can both hunt and mount a penguin, but not a pelican. I like that. It, I like that mounting is now an equal part of. You can mount a live. You can mount a live pelican. As long as it's. Taken care of. As long as it's consensual. Yeah. It's got a big, uh, big gullet. Is it an endangered species, the pelican? It's a protected species. I think that's I would, a subcategory or a larger. I, I'm sure there are there are certain there are certain types of pelicans that are definitely endangered species, and 
as a result, the entire species is protected. I mean, the entire, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, genus? Genus is protected. The American pelican is protected and respected. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would you, did you grow up around a lot of pelicans from in the Gulf, uh, Gulf of Texas? Is there a large pelican population? Yeah, you'd be driving through like a, an area that's like nothing but uh, natural gas refineries and like open flames at the tops of tall smokestacks. And then you'd just see a pelican standing like right next to that smokestack, just happy as can be at all times. That's, that's what you would see. That's um, a true holiday for you. So regardless of the, the, the nature of these animals, uh, the nature of the teams is one of I was interested in because they're kind of on clashing trajectories. So you have the pelicans are very much, I'd say, on the upswing right now. They, they started out kind of a mess, but they're getting it together a little bit. They're actually they're kind of a hard team to play, I think. And then the bucks, on the other hand, they started out everybody was like oh yeah this is it now the bucks are coming down to earth a little bit so they're a little bit on a downswing they're having that kind of first quarter that first quarter of the season crisis type thing um so they're meeting at that point and you know predictably as since the pelicans are on the upswing bucks are down pelicans won in the end and i was kind of thinking about well i was, I was just thinking of <laughs> this is so stupid the kind of meeting of the NBA pendulum basketballs, right? Oh, I so, love pendulums. Talk so, more about them. So two pendulums swinging in opposite directions, but they're basketballs on the end of the pendulum <laughs> string, right? Are they are they going to come back and meet? So the idea is that they actually bounce one another when they meet in the middle, mm-hmm. and because they're basketballs, they have quite a bit of bounce, so they. They reflect back up all the way. So I think both teams will benefit from this meeting, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, they were going down, and now they're both going to go up. I'm a little curious about that. I thought one pendulum I, was I didn't quite think were... that part through, but... Okay, because yeah. I don't see how they could meet if one was going up and the other was, was mm. going down. Unless they met, like, I guess you could... Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Right, that's not a pendulum. I was more thinking of a, the way a buck would fall from a plane and a pelican would fly up from the ground, maybe. Now that, <laughs> who's dropping a buck? Well, when it's shot and hunted. It falls. Before it's that's, mounted. That's beautiful. Prior yeah. to being mounted, post-hunted, there is a time when it falls to the ground. Whereas pelicans, I'm not sure they're actually aerial birds, are they? Do they fly pelicans? Hell yeah. Oh, yeah. And oh, they, yeah. they actually, they, they're famous for falling. They, their descent is one yeah, of the most noteworthy things as they scoop up a large fish from the ocean. So. Their landing is a mess. <laughs> well, we'll get into that because I wanted to talk a little bit about landings, but um, but yeah, no, I think that's. I mean, I think I think that's right. Definitely felt like the Pelicans were on. I don't know about like an upswing, but I feel like they have more. Uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting to think of these two teams in terms of like different kinds of potential. Like, the, there's like there's like, they're both teams. I feel like have a lot of. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of like hype, but they're on different kind of time frames. Like the Bucks potential. Is maybe like a three to five year potential, and the and the and the Pelicans potential is like a one year potential. Yeah. So it's like very, it's like an immediate, it's like a spark that could either blow up in the Pelicans' case, or maybe like sort of like a slow burn that's like a long term, you know, kind of like a leaky explosion in the in the in in the case of the Bucks. 
And uh, yeah, I just felt like they, you could sort of, there was like a different kind of energy because these are two teams. They're not, you know, there are other teams, there are teams like, you know, um, you know, like the Clippers or something, or I'm trying to think of a good team, like the Cavs. The Cavs don't have any potential, right? There's no, there's no like possibility of an explosion, either long-term or short-term. And I feel like the Pelicans really do have a lot of, they do have a lot of potential. They could break into the upper, you know, they're definitely decidedly middle class right now. They could, they, I feel like they could, under certain scenarios, like, you know, leap into the, in the, into yeah. the That's a great point. Yeah, I, the Bucks, you definitely feel like is a team that's been constructed and has been growing for a while and that they're going to continue to tweak and add pieces to. And regardless, they're, they're going to make the playoffs, obviously, and regardless of how they do, the people will think next year they're going to improve. Whereas, like, the Pelicans really just, like, are a bunch of loose ends smashed together, and no one would be surprised if they lost the next 12 games in a row or they won the next 12 games. Or at least I wouldn't. You know, it's, it's really totally unknown at this point whether they come together as, like, a new sort of, like, I don't know what the analogy would be, like, almost like a Memphis team or something that somehow it works just by itself, or whether they're, like, next year not a single player is on that team because they've it just combusted. I think the Pelicans are like a, a blackout team a little bit. Like their chaos energy could result in something great or something terrible. We're not sure. Yeah, that's true. It's a potential that does go both <laughs> in a way that I also think the Bucks are very much like a, there's like a linear linearity to the Bucks. There's really only, they're only going to go up. They could maybe like go down in like the short term. Maybe they're on like a downswing this season, but their trajectory is very much up. Whereas the Pelicans, we don't know where they're going. They could go up, they could go down, but they're definitely going somewhere fast. Yeah. Also, adding onto that combustion uh, observation is, yeah, we talk a lot about Anthony Davis and uh, Cousins being fire and ice or like uh, temperamentally different. Now I feel like the entire roster is like set up with these like diametrically opposed personalities. Like their backcourt now, they have two point guards. They have Jameer Nelson and Rondo, and I don't think you could find like a more different pairing. Like, no. Jameer Nelson used to run something called, like, Camp Jameer in Orlando, where he would, like, bring everyone from Orlando to his hometown, and they would do team-building exercises, like laser tag, and, like, make pizza together, and basically take a van to, like, local gyms to, like, to, like build relationships. Whereas, like, Rondo is basically the devil. Yeah. And right. it, it intends on, like, destroying all, like, forms of empathy or, like, um, caring, as far as I can tell. And, like, so they, there, you, there you have another odd pair where they're playing the same position and it couldn't be more different. Rondo is that uh, the member of the X-Men that throws cards. What's that guy? Gambit. Name? Gambit. <laughs> I was quick And has thus found his, he's his not, home in New Orleans. <laughs> I think he's more like Nightcrawler. He seems like the kind of person that was... For some reason, I can just imagine that, that uh, the trading card of Gambit, like, throwing those cards that I remember from whenever. And I can imagine, like, that... Gambit wearing a trench coat, and it's like instead of Gambit's face, it's Rondo's face for some reason. I just imagine them in the locker room, and Jameer Nelson like has like four Bibles in his locker, and is like planning his like extended Nelson family cookout, and like Rondo, I don't know what he has, has like a Matrix cloak and like um, I don't know Magic the Gathering card or something. Yeah, so it's not just like disparate elements that the the, the Pelicans are constructed. It's, it's truly like you know like like almost like you know chemical. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. It's Right, like chemical, chemical, chemical elements that are, you know, that maybe in isolation are not particularly exciting, but when put together, have this like potential for, you know, again, explosion. And there's like there's like multiple pairings of. Mm -hmm. So in, in, in your analogy, it's not just fire and ice. It's also, do we have a name for Rondo and and Jameer? It's like nice and fat and skinny. A acid, acid and base are those. <laughs> <laughs> acid and base is good. 
salt and pepper. Yeah, I don't acid, know. base, and fire and ice. <laughs> a, two, a two guard, two center uh, roster made up of four uh, diametrically opposed elements. And, and then, and, and then, then Tony Allen. Yeah, and then Tony Allen. Which I mean, if, is there a better kind of like centrifuge for like, <laughs> for like a unknown fusion technology than Tony Allen? That's totally true. I don't think so. Yeah. But, so I mean, like the fire and ice thing, I think is, uh, you know, I'm I'm curious what you guys think about now that it's been pretty much almost a full year since these two were paired together. Um, you know, two very different elements. Whether you think that this experiment is working, I mean, this this grand uh, chemistry uh, um, hypothetical, uh, this proposition, the proposition uh, proved proved to be, um, yeah, effective. Well, not to be a broken record, but I I think that's what makes it interesting is it's still totally it's like right really? on the razor's edge. What's their record yeah. right now? Is it thirteen thirteen? Yeah, it's like their last their last nine games. This is their last nine games. One a game, lost a game. 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 One a game. Like they literally have just won and lost alternate games for like over three weeks now. Like it, it seems like that's what's so yeah. interesting. Like I see them and I can totally see how this could work and that could be like uh you know a really hard out in like the in the playoffs or they could be like a lottery team. I think it is starting to work and I only say that because. I really see a brotherly relationship between Davis and Cousins. They they yell at each other in a way, and they yell at each other and then immediately agree <laughs> with what the other said after they yell, like, over and over again. I've been seeing it for the last few weeks, too. Like, Boogie will yell at Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis will give a one nod, like, yep, yeah, you, you called it. You know, like, they have a very productive brotherly relationship, um, that's confrontational. They they don't build up any kind of sublimated emotions. They let it out right there. I think that it's. I think fire and ice is resulting in a new uh, a new substance. Yeah, there was an article. In, uh... <laughs> I was waiting for you to drop the name the name of that chemical. Yeah, it's a synthesis. You mean it's they're synthesizing? Yeah, like an like an ice like an icicle made Feiss. of fire. Fice. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting. This is like a this is kind of um, an unusual stat uh, based on a very small sample size, but I think kind of like speaks speaks volumes about about the two of them and their relationship to one one another. And I just want to read to you. I thought it was very interesting. This is from an article in Pelican Debrief on Fansided called um, "The Roar Versus the Scowl," and uh, it says in, the, in and it's about it's about how the teams perform after an and one uh, score. So after after a player gets fouled and gets gets a layup, whatever. So after Cousins makes an and one basket, uh, the Pelicans outscore their opponents by 13 points in 101 minutes. That is to say that after Pel after Anthony Davis gets a foul call, you know actually gets gets a call, they end up the team is energized. They go on a run. They outscore their opponents by 13 points. After Davis gets fouled and gets the call, they actually are outscored by 14 points. Which is to say, like, Davis, it has no effect on his sort of temperament. It doesn't seem to, like, energize him to get the call. If anything, it makes him, you know, maybe even, like, a less effective player. Whereas Cousins, because his, you know, he's temperamentally so, you know, this is another thing we should talk about, his, his temperament and his, like, performance is so determined by his relationship to the refs and his feelings of justice and equity in terms of how he's treated. When he gets a foul call, when he, get, when he actually gets the call and he gets to go to the basket on an end one, the team excels, plays better than possibly any other team in the league. 
And yet with Davis, it's the opposite. And I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like in terms of how these two players come together, whatever the synthesis is, I almost feel like it needs to go more in the direction of Cousins than Davis, which is to say, like, and I'm curious what you guys think about this, is it that Cousins need to become more like Davis or that Davis needs to become more like Cousins? And this stat would suggest it's the latter. Mm. <laughs> is that an interesting stat? That is really interesting. I think, I think Davis needs to become... It seems ridiculous, more like more like cousins. And you were right? seeing it to some extent. He got thrown out of a game. Yeah, he got ejected. I mean, that's like amazing. Yep. I uh, yeah. I would and say it's... I would say that Davis. I mean, I would say that Cousins has been a bad influence on Davis in a good way. Go, go on. Go on. <laughs> like Davis was living like he was living a little too clean, you know. Mm-hmm. Cousins uh... just takes him out one day a week. Not it's not changing his whole life. It's just one day a week takes him out. They get they complain about things and then they get better stuff as a result together, right? right. Out in the world, cousin shows him how that works. Like right. you don't just accept whatever you get, Anthony. No, you fight. You, you fight complain for. and then you get something that's been enhanced. Yes. Customized. Life is it like is life a struggle? Is it about clawing your way? Is it about a struggle for power and domination, or is it about like you know, uh, you know, equanimity and uh, just happiness that comes from like a sort of Zen? I feel like Davis has a sort of Eastern philosophical. Um, da- da- uh, <laughs> Davis is like Obama. Yes, Davis is cousins is like. <laughs> so so, so cousins cousins Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> He's, he's like, he's he's Cousins, the world is inherently unfair. One track of mind, yeah. Injustice, and he and he and he's angry about it. He's like Definitely. in the same yeah. sense. Sees a world surrounds him, you know, of of great economic injustice, and he and he's and he's pissed. So since Cousins gets that one day to take Davis around town and complain about stuff and get better stuff, Davis also gets a day where he takes Cousins to a river outside of New Orleans <laughs> and he just and they just sit there and look at the river and if and if Cousins tries to talk Davis is like no don't say anything <laughs> right that would be like Obama sort of imparting you know certain yeah like a like a yeah a calming having a calming influence on Bernie it really well you're right though it is interesting there is like a second game going on in every Pelicans game where which is Cousins view of like justice like he is, feels so wronged when he does not get hit the call. He's like, right he, though. You, you say, oh no, he is right. That's true. I can't remember anyone wa- watching this game in particular. I was like, I don't remember anyone since Shaq that gets so beat up on the way to the hoop. Like he does get a lot of fouls. Yeah, yeah and he's no. I was just gonna say, and the referees are just constantly trying to force him to learn the lesson. <laughs> you think right. they're just like baiting him? No, I don't think they're just baiting him. I just think that sometimes it turns into baiting him, like, it, like as a result of the fact that there is an unspoken challenge, open challenge from him to the refs of the NBA. Like, yeah, well, he's not gonna go down under some false nobility where he's like, I'm gonna let them hack me to death, and then no. like finally I'll go, you'll respect me and get a call. Yeah. He's, he's gonna call out every single one. I mean, when I when I watch those two players, I'm reminded of like you know I feel like one of them I feel like Cousins is a much more 
because of his attitude toward the world and toward the game is, is much more representative of how the mind actually works and processes information. Like when, you, when you're rooting for like, when you have a very strong attachment to the home team, when you watch a game, it really does feel like objectively every single call goes against you, right? It feels like the refs are purposely trying to help the other team win. And I'm not just saying like you think that because you want to believe it because you like, you know, because like, you know, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to game the system. It actually, you actually perceive it that way. And there's like a whole, you know, a whole boatload of, 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 of psychological research on, on how our, you know, we're, we're just not rational. How we view the world isn't rational. It's, it's, in, it's heavily motivated by our deepest, um, you know, our deepest emotions. And I feel like Davis, I, I can trust the way Cousin, the way Cousin sees the game and the injustice that he feels. It makes sense to me. Cousin, like Davis, when I watch him play, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't trust him because he seems so, you know, calm about things. And he seems so, he, like, it seems like when he, when a call goes against him and it's maybe like the right call, he likes, accepts it in a way that I, I don't feel like, you know, Cousins would or like any like real human would. Like Cousins is more representative of like the human experience. Should we take a yeah, little I break? Just, or, Should we take a little break? Well, I, I actually, I wrote down that I needed to record. Let's take a break. My lecture today is called White Buddhism. In fact, Buddhism is so white that if you don't have your cotton drawers and overcoat on, you're going to freeze the down because Buddhism is so white, you think you're in Antarctica. Let's go in and tell you about this white Buddhism. I'm going to talk to you about something really, really important today. You ever feel like you deserve something? You ever feel like, why isn't this happening for me, you know? I'm saying hi to this person, not responding back. Or I, I, I'm looking for success, but I'm not, I'm not getting success. I'm just not seeing the things that I, that I want to see. We're expecting things to come our way. So I have this concept that I call throwing the ball. Just like imagine, you know, when you play racquetball or when you're playing tennis and there's like that wall that you have to hit the ball on and it comes back to you, right? We don't expect when we're playing tennis that someone is going to throw the ball to us. We, if we want to start a game, we take the ball and we serve. We take the ball, throw it up and we serve. Playing racquetball, we hit the ball up against the, the wall and it bounces back. That's what I call throwing the ball. Or you could say hitting it with a racket. Just throwing the ball. When you want something to come your way, you throw the ball. You don't wait for the ball. You throw the ball. So if you want... What about Gentry? What do you think his, like, which side does he go towards? I, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't have a thought about Gentry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm passing that to Jacob. I can't, I don't have a good read on Gentry. I was always very impressed with him in the post D'Antoni uh, Suns. I always thought he ran, like, instead of letting that thing go to shit, he, always, he ran some really good offenses. Um, I've always liked Gentry, but I have no idea how he is as a coach or a person. He looks, well, I was going to say, on the one hand, he looks like he's about to blow up with anger at all times, but then he always just smiles. He has this kind of way of, he knows that his eyebrows are doing a kind of maniacal anger. So he kind of... Uh, lets people know that he's not angry by smiling really big. I, think... I I had noted, by the way, that both Jason Kidd and Alvin Gentry deeply need Visine. Or the Smoothie King Center is very dry. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense because New Orleans is very humid. Can I, uh... I'm just really falling on crickets here. I was thinking about Alvin These Gentry. These comments. 
I'm just trying to think of other causes of, uh, of, of. I mean, are you are you suggesting that they're like they're they're smoking weed? Like, it's are they? Well, I was I was suggesting that they might both be drunk. Oh, you think it's an, you think it's alcoholism? Yeah, well, yeah, at least one of the two one cases. Them, I yeah. won't say which. <laughs> another way in which I feel like I just before we leave the subject, another way I, I feel like you know Davis has cousins has more to teach Davis than vice versa is when it comes to three point shooting and their and shot selection. And just before the podcast, I was just looking at the numbers. I, I don't know about you guys, but I was just sort of surprised by, given how much, you know, it's like, it makes sense for someone like Giannis to not shoot a lot of a lot of threes because he just doesn't shoot outside shots at all. But Anthony Davis shoots, um, let me give you the numbers. He shoots four, he has four shot attempts per game, fairly high number from 10 to 20 feet. And he only has 1.2 from 25 feet or more. Cousins has one field goal attempt from 10 to 20 feet and shoots 5.3 from 25 or more. So like Cousins, like, you know, yeah, for whatever reason, like Davis, I don't know if he gets like nervous or he, again, maybe he's like so rational that he thinks like the farther away you get, the less your chance of, 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 of scoring, <laughs> which, which is, which is, you know, actually does make sense, but is disproven by, by the, by like advanced analytics, which says like there actually isn't that much of a difference between like, you know, an 18 foot shot, and, like a 23 foot shot. You might as well like, you know, you might as well take it farther out. Um, and certainly when there's like an extra point attached and uh, yeah, I think this is another way in which like cousins on these on these excursions on these once weekly excursions needs to sort of nudge Davis in the direction of taking like, you know, risks from shooting farther outside. Yeah, I agree. I, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of risk taking happening on cousins part to great effect, actually. And right. Um, I, another thing that should be mentioned about the Pelicans, since, you know, let's be honest, at this point, we're only going to talk about the Pelicans is. <laughs> That like Jameer Nelson, whatever element he he represents, <laughs> he's the reason. Cadmium. He's the reason they won the game. I think right. he he brought like a level of intelligence to their offense at the end when they needed it. He um, he doesn't really care what he gets or doesn't get. I mean, he also, like, he's played, like, in many, I mean, he played for years with one of the most combustible big men, you know, of, of the era, right, with, with Dwight yeah. Howard. I feel like he also brings, like, a certain, he might have, like, a salutary effect on Cousins. <laughs> he might just have, like, a big man, like, muscle memory. Yeah, well, I just, <laughs> like, the way, like, a trainer might rub down, like, you know, <laughs> I have, like, a bruised thigh of, like, a big man, like, he rubs down, like, the, the bruised, like, emotions of, of Cousins. He's like, you can fart on my head if you want to. <laughs> He's like, I've that, seen it all with Dwight. Yeah, like that. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, this is. I'm just throwing this out there. He's a, sub. Thinking, He's a sub. He's a sub. Yeah, he submissive. <laughs> and like, you know, and you need someone like that in the locker room with cousin. I'm just trying to think. I think you're right. Like, I do feel like he brings something specifically to that team. That, uh, and I'm trying to think of what that would be. And I, I can only think of like his history, and like the fact that yeah, he's like. His, bring, yeah. yeah, rationality and um, experience and the opposite of, of Rondo to some extent. You felt like he was the MVP of that of that game? No, no, I don't think he was the MVP. I think he was the, like, he was like the fulcrum, you know? He, he just, he ended up providing this, um, this pivot point upon which the team could move from, like, keeping up but being behind to just going, to just being ahead, you know? Like, just to take advantage of that moment when, the buck stepped off the gas for a second. Does he I, have like a sort of like who would you? I'm trying to think of other players like him, like have that sort of veteran 
uh, sunny disposition, like trying, like you said, with Jason Terry, maybe. Well, yeah, definitely Jason Terry. I mean, he's I, a little bit different category. He's like the no conscience, like big shot guy. Yeah, right. right. He's the emotional. Yeah. No, it's like this classic small point guard. It's like the Mark Jackson, Travis best i'm trying to think who it's just like this little it's like this totally like i've got my shit together i mean I've got jason two houses. kid was that right at a certain point right right yeah it's a little bit there's when a certain older but yeah there's i know what you're saying there's a certain workman likeness to jameer nelson he's never gonna give you anything like magical no but but he's always gonna do his job very well um i had noted that boogie cousins um I thought for some reason when I was watching the Pelicans and just this this game in general, I thought it was kind of like a clashing of young knights a little bit. Um, the competition between young up upcoming knights, uh, sort of like the competitions that would take place in order to become a part of a kind of inner circle of a court or something. And that then led me to believe that Boogie Cousins might be kind of like a medievalist. Uh -huh. And then I started thinking about how that makes sense because Boogie Cousins has found a home in New Orleans and New Orleans has kind of like a caste system to it. This like um this old kind of like uh everyone stays in their in their uh their class there a little bit in a in a way. And then that reminded me of like Ignatius Riley, right? So Boogie Cousins as an Ignatius <laughs> Riley character. Um where he's he's kind of he's never satisfied with anything. But he believes in a he believes in a rigid system of some kind where he is the dominant part of that system. Interesting. This takes us away from kind of a more Bernie Sanders character uh, archetype. <laughs> it's like a it's like it's a it's an egalitarian and uh, like leveler uh, in yeah. uh, uh, like in a uh, sense of um, righteous anger at the world. Levelers being like the um, English political group that was kind of the prototype of of uh, Marxist and the. 1600s but yeah and you're saying we're cousins he sees injustice in the world but his he's more reactionary and he wants to sort of maintain or retrench to like a more uh differentiated class structure yeah that he well in in confederacy of dunces you know ignatius riley was he he believed essentially that um these characters he would meet in new orleans were all members of different like castes so he could like he could organize the world around him more easily by uh, by associating with like a medievalist belief system, you know? And I think that Boogie almost oversimplifies the way the NBA works around him. He always feels like he's being, uh, he always feels like he's being punished unfairly. He, he thinks that he's better than he gets credit for. He thinks that people that are considered great aren't so great. All this kind of like, um, so yeah, I think he's he's a little less of a leveler and more of a uh, an agent of fury. Right, a man who thinks that castes are legitimate, but that he's been placed in the wrong one. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. So what else? Okay. Yeah, going back to the Bucks, maybe you guys can answer this question because I haven't really figured it out or didn't even really think about it. But can you think of any situations where? <laughs> people where um there have been groups of people who all were had the same talent set or all were had the same like psychological makeup or something that was it was very similar and they were larger than the sum of their parts because traditionally 
when people think about group endeavors, it's like the like Ninja Turtle effect. They're like, you need to have the leader, then there's the inventor, then there's the emotional one, then there's the fun one, and then somehow that becomes like a group that succeeds yeah. because it's like the perfect melody. Whereas obviously the Bucks seem different because they all seem to be like the, cut from the same cloth. No, I mean, it's pretty, I think it's like a pretty standard narrative that you need, like in business, for instance, you need like a Steve Jobs and a Steve Wozniak, right? And like mm -hmm. music, you need like a Sean, you need a John Lennon and you need a Paul McCartney, right? The only thing I can think of, the only example I can think of a successful group of similar personalities, and I'd rack my brain in the 10 seconds. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is friends. <laughs> where you, where you had six individuals who were, had like almost identical sort of lifestyle uh, profiles and they managed to make great comedy together. Yeah. Doc? Yeah, obviously the blackout game is a good example of similar forces working together towards great ends. Um, but also, have you ever met a beehive? <laughs> oh, that's a great point. It's it's actually a lot more like something from nature. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a lot of chips. Are you asking? Are you <laughs> Have we considered a beehive as an example of a successful, uh, undifferentiated? Well, he's thinking more like the Wu-Tang, the, 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 the swarm. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, de, it's a, it's a organizational principle that de-emphasizes Have you ever heard of a little group I, I like to call the IRS? <laughs> I think both the beehive and the IRS are functionally successful. That is to say that they survive and they, they're, they're, they're they like, you know, they reproduce. But I don't think of like beehives as excelling. Like they don't like they don't win. Like, well, they, they, don't... they actually do win. I was reading yeah, a book about like dinosaurs a... to my son. Beehives have been around for like over like no, they, millions they... of years. There were yeah, bees no. around when the dinosaurs were around. Yeah, they successfully. But you don't see bees like taking. They're not like bees don't conquer a city. How do bees you know? They might be winning a championship every year. They might be. <laughs> They win like the championship of, of level, like living and like and like reproducing, but they don't like actually excel. They don't go in any direction. Similarly, the IRS is very successful <laughs> at, at like collecting revenue, right? Right. And and dispersing it to the treasury and like reproducing the mechanisms of the state. But and the, the IRS, IRS are part of the government. Good years or bad years. The only way like it differentiates is is if like you know yeah like if the economy goes up like more taxes will be collected, but it's not that's not because of the IRS. Similarly, like beehives might have like a good year because like there's more pollen there, but that's not because like bee they're like they're like doing better at their jobs. They're just they just reproduce. They're very stable, and I don't know if the the bucks could the bucks right now are like what whatever their record is. They're like fifteen and fifteen. That's like if they continue to be this 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 mass of 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 like of 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 of, of you know of identical uh, profiles or whatever. Like I just feel like they will just continue at the same. They'll just they'll just stay like right where they are. What about uh, fictional examples? Is that all right? Yeah, of course. And the uh, beehive? Well, I guess they have a little bit less. Um... Yeah, go on. Well, I was just going to say, what about um, angels? Like from Christian oh, like yeah, mythology? Christian, yeah, from Christian mythology. Like, they're all kind of the same, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're like a team. Are they yeah. winning? Are they successful? Yeah, obviously. They're the reason why we all live long, happy lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about angels. Yeah, I don't know about angels either. Harley's angels, okay. but I okay. think, and they were kind of similar, I guess. 
I don't know enough about Charlie's Angels. I think you're uh, hitting on something that your examples are not like, are, what do I say? Your examples are like entire species or like systems rather than like small groups in a competitive field. Right. Like when I, when I first posited the question, I was thinking more like, you know, a band or a biz, like a small business that then got really big, like oh, the Apple. I, or the... I have a good example. I have a good example. Yeah. What about a group? What about a group of typewriters that have been assigned to one office? Right, like the machine or the machine. typists. The machine, okay. Type uh-huh. the machine, okay. Five typewriters, identical, right? The finest typewriters, really great okay. typewriters. Uh huh. When the type typist, aka the coach, let's mm. say, were to type varying different things on those five great typewriters, great things would result, right? So is the typewriter Giannis? Or so, Jason, okay. I mean, so what this, I'm saying is going, that the, going. the Bucks are constru- are like constructing a, um, a line of very high-end typewriters, <laughs> right? That are all uh, like the top of the line, and right. they are all they are all typing out Jason Kidd's monologue because he's a point guard, right? So he's like, well, this is interesting. I think that, well, <laughs> I have two questions. One. If you had to put the Pelicans as like a, in, in the similar metaphorical or allegorical universe, are the Pelicans also a group of objects in a room? No, see, the Pelicans... Is the goal to write something beautiful? The Pelicans are a bunch of different smartphones from different eras. <laughs> are there people typing on them? Yeah. Okay. Alvin Gentry's typing on all of them, but <laughs> I'm saying like they're all like... Uh, Jameer Nelson's like a really reliable classic Raz- flip phone. Flip yeah. phone, yeah. yeah like razor. a Motorola, yeah, Razor. I just think it's... <laughs> <laughs> like, we're like, totally... What's it? Anthony Davis is like a two-year ago, like Samsung. Yeah, he's, he's one of those He's one of those ones that blew up. What are the notes? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you just talking about a classic conductor versus orchestra relationship? Why did we have Ooh. to anthropomorphize a bunch of typewriters? I was going to say, that's actually a lot more interesting is that I think what Jacques really hit on is that the Bucks are set up set up in such a way where the coach's agency really seems like it would be the most important thing. And I do yeah. think that Jason Kidd is probably not up to the task. Like, imagine if you had Popovich with that team. Oh yeah. Or That's even, true. or even, um, D'Antoni just true. was just like, you know. If you had someone with a vision. You mean? Yeah. Who could type? I actually do. I, as much as I mock the typewriters yeah. and I yeah. orchestras, I do like the idea of like just being like typing out like you know Anna Karenina on these five. <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, pounding out like, yeah. Like, gotta get t- <laughs> it's gotta get I'm typed really, on something. Right, really great, like a really great piece of writing. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, like I think I think that type of team requires a, a virtuoso, a, yeah. a charismatic and visionary leader. I'm not, and you're right. I'm not sure Jason Kidd is up for the task. I actually thought you were going to go in the direction of saying Giannis would be the conductor, but I think you're right. That's not really how it works. I think I think he's one of the undifferentiated. Well, yeah. Well, let's just, yeah. I mean. Giannis is is different than all of them, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, I mean I w- he is. He's more of like he's like he's like the lead violinist, but I don't think he's qualitatively. He's quantitatively different. I, I, don't had, know if he's- I had written down that Giannis is like if you could combine Davis and Cousins into one player, you'd have Giannis. So it's like he's kind of like a perfect. He's a perfect player, right? Right. So, but I don't think he's like the maestro, like the way LeBron. I do think he's the best, greatest player since LeBron, but or the potential to be. But I don't know if he has like. I don't know if he. I do feel like he's part of this. I don't know. I really beehive. Do think 
course, among others. Part of this clan of he's typewriters. Yeah, he's the he's the he's the king typewriter. You know, I just want to ask an interesting question about. I don't know if you guys noticed the turnover differential in this game was astronomical. That is to say, like the the Pelicans had 21 turnovers, and I think the Bucks had seven, and yet the Pelicans still won. And I was thinking about this. The Bucks have this amazing length, right? And they actually lead the lead, I think, in turnovers. In like in both, they have the fewest number of turnovers, and they're in the top five in terms of how many turnovers they force the other team to make. Which I feel like has a lot to do with their length, right? On the defensive side, they they grab a lot of balls, they get into the lane, they have a lot of steals. And on the offensive side, they're so long, they don't miss a lot of passes because they can just scoop up, you know, with their huge wings. They just like they just suction up any ball that comes their way, so they don't lose passes. But is there like a downside to that length? Because even though <laughs> too long, even though they they yeah they had this incredible turnover, they had like the equivalent of twelve extra possessions this game. They still lost by seven points. Is there anything? Is that length a hindrance? Hmm. The only thing I could think of is that maybe it, you become sort of complacent and you don't place the ball like in a very specific spot. Because <laughs> you like, think everyone can catch it. Yeah, mm. like I can just like within 15 feet of Giannis, and he's gonna he's gonna snag it, or you know what I mean? Like I just have to bounce the ball like in the direction of Maker, and he'll like he'll Plastic Man or something. Right, there's not as much, and I did think there was like a certain la there's like a lack of they when they even at their even when they're like running at, like they're you know they're firing at all cylinders and they're moving they're a lot of ball movement they're still a little sloppy they still don't like there's not a lot of precision I feel like their maybe their length is leading to almost complacency Gumby ball yeah I don't know it was just a thought I had what do you guys think of length is length ever can it, is there ever, is there a downside to length Well I mean it's it's a further distance from your eye to the hand. You know. Oh, that's interesting. I could I could make for some uh, just some you know like longer, more predictable decisions. <laughs> more predictable. More predictable, yeah. Well, because you, you 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 uh, you telegraph them more. Right. So the other team. Right. Because you're just physically more gestural. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Jacob? Is there a downside to length? Well, the boring one would be that the downside to length is lack of width, meaning that these players are just not big, so that someone like you know, uh, like yeah, they get cousins bullied. could take them into the post, and, and that's did... and that's why people like are always like, oh, they should get a DeAndre Jordan type or something. Like I that. saw that happen in this game with Henderson and Cousins. Yeah, Cousins forced a jump ball with Henderson, um, just by just by like kind of bullying him when he decided to at some yeah. point there was nothing he sort of tried to steal it but there was nothing there he just kind of dominated henderson so much that the referee was like there's nothing else i can do but call a jump ball here so that's my more real but i like your idea that length leads to this sort of like um not laziness but like lack of precision like there's just like a big blanket of limbs where they're like we'll throw it in the proximity of the hoop and someone will be long enough to get it or right. i'll put that pass in pass in that vicinity and it'll like be sucked into their like limb vortex rather than yeah. hitting like the, like the... the paradox of length. <laughs> that would be the that would be the, that would be the, the worst Calvino's short story of all time. <laughs> <laughs> and an already poor track record. <laughs> you don't uh, like Calvino? Sorry, yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I think I think we kind of got it. We're we're like yeah, we nailed it. We're at this first quarter of the season where everybody has decided to like um, project that certain people are going to win it all, and 
this kind of like post-apocalyptic power struggle continues um and we'll we'll keep watching it as it happens right can we just go back real quick and restate uh <laughs> two the two motto animal mottos uh so pelicans what pelicans are protected and respected <laughs> bucks and the bu hunted and mounted <laughs> And they were in this game, both hunted and mounted. Yep. And the Pelicans were respected. And protected. And protected. They didn't protect the ball. They they lost. They actually gave up the ball up, but they they protected the lead when they got it. Well, their home stadium protected them. Right. Smoothies. Yeah, I think that's more like a plea to the refs that the refs should protect them. They didn't. They in the in the absence of the protection from the refs, the fans were there to protect them. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um okay. Let's let's do this. We'll great, see. Great episode, guys. Great talking with you. Thanks for letting me call into your show. <laughs> um enjoy Detroit. Thanks. And we'll uh we'll be back at you in a couple weeks, hopefully. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone.